Hello, this is Patrick, and it is time for Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Brought to you by thepracticalherbalist.com and sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, your source for high-quality, organic, bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. Visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Seria Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. <laughs> Forty years ago, Peru's Department of Agriculture tallied maca cultivation at only 70 acres. By the early 90s, maca was on the endangered plants list. This year, Peruvian farmers have revived and saved this herb only to face invasion by biopirates. Today, we're talking about maca and the integrity herbalists must bring to indigenous crops. Sue? Maca has been one of your favorites. Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually introduced to it while I was working for a larger herbal company back in the 90s, and it was new to the herbal field then, uh, and now it has become much more prevalent. We used to be able to buy it in the cut-and-sift form for making tincture, and a couple years after we started purchasing it, then the Peruvian government put out a declaration saying that they would only sell it in powder form. Right. In order to make sure that it wasn't um, duplicated, they wanted to make sure that only the Peruvian uh, people were able to sell it. It's It can only grow up in very tight circumstances, uh, which it can withstand wind, it can withstand terrible cold, you know, it grows under the ground. It's a little turnip-looking thing that would fit in your hand very easily. I believe it's in the radish family. It's the mustard family? The mustard yeah, family. Yeah, the name mm-hmm. is Lepidium myini, M-E-Y-E-N-I-I. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you say that? And there's a lot of different colors for it. The one that you usually see is the kind of beige one. That's the one, that I guess, that is most commonly sold. But the Peruvian government have been working very hard to preserve it, and there's a lot of little companies in America that were sending people over to purchase it and work with these families that were growing it on their the side of their mountains. And I know that they have to take a lot of time in between growing these plants to keep right. their, their fields uh, fallow so that the soil can revitalize and then they can have another really good crop of organic maca. Right. Yeah, the maca that's grown in Peru is grown without any extra fertilizers or it's completely organic Mm -hmm. and it takes two years it takes a lot out of the soil so it takes about two years for the ground to replenish its nutrients and it's very very fragile environment and these people that are growing it at least that we at the time were buying it from were they're indigenous people this was very important to their livelihood and they were growing it in traditional i.e organic um, ways and it meant a lot that that was family to to a family owned business here in America that they would send the same people in you know it, they weren't right. treating it like a you know an herbal mcdonald's that that trust was very important to them and yes. now it's it's really grown and it's becoming this terrifying experience chaotic experience out in this very delicate ecosystem and delicate cultural system and it causes me a great deal of concern and I know that the um, 
word has gotten out about some of its properties. A number of studies have been released. Um, I see a flurry of them in front of me right now, starting from 2001 to 2011. That's what I'm currently looking at. And there, it basically the word got out that it was uh, helped with libido, and it was like a herbal Viagra. Yeah, an aphrodisiac. So. Aphrodisiacs, they definitely will cause crazy world hype. Yeah. I mean, it's just the way it is. Yeah. And anytime I hear the word superfood attached to something like acacia berry, or in this case, maca, I just take a deep breath and close my eyes and think, mm-hmm. oh, here we go again. <laughs> you know, that's that panacea idea that your problems can be solved by one thing. All you need is this one thing. You know, don't bother looking internally. You know, don't bother trying to fix something in your own life. You know, look outside and try to fix it that way. And that that is a, a, that has crippled us as a society for centuries. And we don't right. seem to be willing to change that. It's I think as an herbalist, it seems ridiculous to rely on any one herb or any one food or any one anything. We need mm-hmm. a variety. Yeah. And maca has been a nice aspect of that variety. But to be honest, I feel like it's a luxury for us. It is a luxury for us. people of Peru probably need it a lot more than we do. Yeah. They're growing themselves up in that same harsh environment. Mm -hmm. And that plant should be there for them. Yep. And they're using it as a food and as a medicine. And what is really sad is that there are limited things that they can grow up in that environment. And this is one of the things that really works for them. And now... We've somehow it's being sold and grown in China, in the you know these uh, plains in China, and they're just dumping chemicals on them because it's right. not the right place for it. So right. they, they have aren't to... hitting the same elevations. They can't right. get as high as the Peruvian Andes. Right. Oh, and it's a different soil composition. It's completely different. Right. It's mm-hmm. not, never going to be the same. Mm-hmm. But the thing with with you saw the indigenous people, it's not just the harvesting. It's it's a staple food for them. Yeah. Right, so mm-hmm. these other people were saying we want an aphrodisiac mm-hmm. or this or that, and these people are like, hey, this is what we eat every day. Right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's healthy. Right. It's not just no, they're not subsisting on something that's unhealthy for them, but it's it's helped them for for centuries, untold centuries. Like right. the same people, um, they have. Um, um, amaranth that grows in that area, and when the Spanish came in, they saw how dependent the people were on amaranth, and they, you know, you'd rinse the amaranth seed and then use the water that you use for rinsing to clean things in as an antiseptic, right. and then eat the seeds, and you know, it's very high in amino acids, and mm-hmm. so the Spanish just said, okay, well, I'm going to make that plant illegal. You now can't use it, and that's how that one of the techniques that they used to suppress the the same people that we're talking about now that are being tormented by these bio pirates. Right, no, it's like they can't even win. It's very <laughs> sad to me. <laughs> yeah, it was the maca root was one of the ones that was exported to Spain. It wasn't banned from use for the people that lived there, but they had to cultivate an awful lot of it to um, satisfy the Spanish court. Mm. during the conquistadors mm-hmm. era. So it's not the first time that maca has been Challenged. exported and it's not the first time the people have lost control of their, that particular crop. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I hate to say it, but the Chinese are just doing what all other industrialized nations have done, including to China. 
mm-hmm. through the years. Right. And it's not the wonderful, nice little Chinese traders that are coming through. There are no. some some that are, yeah, I'm some sure. Yeah, deadly people coming through but, there to do that. Yeah, Red Dragon Triad, who I initially thought was not even a real group. No, actually it is real. But it is real. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, that sounds like a video game gang. It's a Jackie Chan. Yeah. yeah. No, it's But it's, it's real. real and they're it's brutal. Real. And I looked up a little bit of their history before mm-hmm. making this podcast. And I mean, we're talking about things like beheadings and, and mm-hmm. children chopped up and, and right. extremely horrible stuff. So right. no wonder this poor little culture is in chaos. They, um, The gentleman that I read, his report on Herbal Graham um, Chris Killam, and he's been, he's worked with trying to buy maca for years, you know, working with families, as I was describing. And his report to Herbalgram was he's walking around this tiny little town and he's seeing these people that are, they're armed and they're dangerous and they're sitting at the little cafes, you know, checking things out with their very expensive large guns and not even bothering to, you know, keep it, keep right. it covered. Because they're just so confident, you know, who's going to screw around with me? I can come into this town and do whatever I like. Right. And the government, the Peruvian government, isn't taking military action against these people, the marauders, mm-hmm. essentially, the, right. the new version of conquistadors. Yeah, they're not, they may be arriving on planes instead of ships. But yeah, I think that that it's such a complicated scenario. I'm not sure that, I don't know how to fix that, except what we can do on our end to help folks, which is, of course, watch where we're buying it from. You can buy maca from China. You know, right. It's available. And I personally, if I was going to buy maca, fortunately there's lots of other substitutions, if it doesn't say where it's from... I wouldn't buy it. Not yeah. going in my pocket. They've Mm-mm. done some studies there's, that I've read. I read a couple of ones where they just did an analysis of Chinese maca as compares to Peruvian maca. And mm-hmm. The variety of constituents that you're looking for, they might have them in the Chinese one, but in much, much weaker concentrations. Mm -hmm. And it's been hard to get a hold of unadulterated Chinese maca root to do for these analyses as well. Are they doing blends? Well, they're adulterating or they're doing something to modify the root that they're turning in for the studies. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like one one lab said there was no viable DNA available in the particular sample that they got Mm -hmm. from the Chinese government, I believe it was. Wow. But yeah, so they're, I mean, this looks like it's a very big, kind of like the Dutch and the tulips, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I mean, really a big thing that this poor little community is dealing with. It's like a big international thing rather than a tiny small community having a little bit of problems. Right. You know, it's, it's, become, it's big worldwide. It's international yeah. now. It's an international right. problem. And, yeah, not only is the quality going down, but the price is skyrocketing. Right. It's, it's, more, it's gone up 10 times, if not more, just within this last year. Right. And who right. knows? And it's likely to go up even further. From what I've read, the Chinese people that are coming in to, to get this, get the maca root, mm-hmm. have already probably claimed somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of the next year's crop. Wow. The next year's crop begins in May and runs through September or October, mm-hmm. depending on how the crop season goes. And they've already claimed near 80% of it through backdoor deals that are also not paying the government taxes and export taxes and whatnot. Right. Yeah. So that's bad for 
not just the individual community, but the country as a larger whole, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Patrick, you had said before about one of the solutions that they might consider is what we did with coffee. Well, they could do the... The farmers could become a cooperative like many of the regional or, you know, the coffee growers Mm -hmm. um, and start up a fair trade organization or doing specific things like they do in Australia with uh, tea tree, you know, having minimum requirements that it's an official Peruvian Mm -hmm. maca plant versus, you know, something else. These all could be starts. um, But as Candice was just saying there, I was just thinking about, uh, you know, about supplies and trade and, you know, how if you're valuable in one country of something, you would use that to to gain money so that you can buy the other things, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if the maca is a resource and it's not managed because of backdoor deals and people claiming all this stuff and it's just basically a Wild West show right now for maca, right, right. You know, like a maca rush, then the government can't function the way it needs to to control import-export and to mm-hmm. handle the tariffs and to handle the income to make it better for the people. Yeah, Because the people could use that maca as a resource, not just for food, but for money for the country so that their country can you know, increase its economic standing. That's the whole point. I mean, if you have a product that nobody else has, you sell it. Mm-hmm. And you get the other products that you might want. Right. So, But there has to be a balance between that. You can't just, you know, what's happening now is it's just like strip mining. Mm-hmm. You come in, take it all out, leave. There's nothing left for anybody. Nobody's gaining. There are individuals gaining, but not the right individuals. Mm-hmm. But not so, enough of them. And not enough of them. So... Uh, you know, the government would need to step in and start to control the import-export aspect of it, but also the individual farmers, which is hard because this is, we're talking rural, we're talking very low-income, you know. Right. They would have to gather together to start to do the organizations to handle the quality control. You look at almost any country in the world that has a specialty, that's what they do. France has got truffles and wine, mm-hmm. you know, there's coffee growers associations, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Even cotton right. in America, you know, they've got their cotton thing, you know. So, that's where we can you can start, but it's going to take a huge influx of cash to make that happen. Yeah, and in some ways revitalizing their cultural heritage, because from the little that I read, I'm not claiming to be an expert, the Peruvian people were naturally very community-oriented, even though they're spread out over a large area, which was very rustic, but they made a lot of decisions together, and that piece has disappeared from their, their um, uh, community and it sounds like it needs to be resurrected. So they could put together... It's better if it comes from the people itself rather than outside influence, whether that's international or from the government. But if the right. people can bond together and feel empowered yeah. and be able to support that, what I read here is that we've got some of the local farmers shooting buyers that come onto their land and killing them. You know, right. Now, who wins there? Right. You know, now right. you've got a someone who's going to go to jail and and that's just depleted the family of a of a good resource someone who is trying to defend from who knows what but yeah the shootings are are happen more than once i see a couple of things listed here that's just that's that is that's a sign of really terrified people they're willing to take those kind of of actions in order to defend themselves and their way of life so right. as an herb or as a plant what makes maca so valuable? Now, what 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 properties does it have? What does it do that makes for it real? <laughs> yeah, for real. I mean, we talked about the fact that everyone wants this, mm-hmm. but why do they want it? Now, Sue, you know, a few years back, I remember I was doing some smoothies and stuff, and you said, "Oh, try this maca root." You mm-hmm. get a bag of maca powder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I still have. A Your wife didn't like the flavor at all. Oh, I, <laughs> see, yeah, I love so it because it's so malty. And yeah. I love that malty well, flavor. And I'm a huge yeah. malt fan myself. Yeah. But yeah. I 
I didn't like it as much as you seem to. Yeah, I was I was <laughs> very dandelion. excited about it. And you, you like dandelion coffee or whatever. All right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I called dandelion root and roasted chicory root real coffee. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't say that. I said it was more so like, like real, real decaf Folgers <laughs> coffee, but it was good for you. So. so. So what what properties does maca have that makes it a, such a valuable commodity for, you know, not only you know us in America but you know China and other parts of the world? What, why do people want this plant so much? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really just it looks like a rutabaga. Right. Yeah. It, it really does. What I read about it was that it was adaptogenetic and mm-hmm. it was uh, affinity for the endocrine system. Mm-hmm. Yep. And your studies that you found back that up, don't they? They yeah. The pieces that I was looking at mostly was. Um, and of course, I'm trying to find this. Here it is. It's opening now. But they talked about how nutritive it was, and how it's a good energizer, and a, they ha- it has fertility enhancing properties. Um, works for lowering blood pressure, and but the, the reason why I believe that it works for lowering p- blood pressure is very high in potassium, and potassium right. is great at lowering. That's what it does. Right, and if it can balance an endocrine system that's out of high blood pressure at least in older women, is caused by, I forgot, lower estrogen levels, mm-hmm. higher. I can't remember. I always forget what the balance is, but I know hormonal transition times for women can create high blood pressure situation that can then last for the rest of their lives, and it's about the hormonal balance. Yeah, and it's, uh, uh, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of really good, oops, I just hit the microphone, sorry, guys. Uh, it's got a lot of really great uh, amino acids and and calcium and zinc and just fabulous things it that had are a lot yeah there was a lot of minerals that i saw mm-hmm. listed yeah for it. And, and yeah vitamins b and c tons of minerals mm-hmm. and uh wasn't there something about omega-3 uh yeah fatty acids free free fatty acids which were also abundant um the oleic acids and the um lino- uh, let's see, saturated fatty acids. There's just it. It's it's very very good for you. But the other things that it has in it help with uh, sexual function in that it per- improves sperm function. And they did some uh, lovely studies with people and found that the sperm mobility had improved mm-hmm. and the volume had improved. And I'm not. I didn't see on my own um, when I was doing some investigation about how it was helping women in general other than it's nutritive and stress reducing okay. uh, but I do see quite a bit here about uh, ser- uh, testosterone controls and different things like that it doesn't seem like it's really working to do anything other than keep you stabilized because it's so nutritional but as far as um, actually helping the sperm uh, mobility and it, increase in volume, then it, they definitely have some studies that proves that's accurate. Yeah, and that would kind of go along with the Incan Empire's rule for their warriors, which is when you're going to battle, you eat lots of maca and keep eating it. Mm-hmm. And when you're done and you're going back home, you're not allowed to eat the maca. Uh-huh. <laughs> It'll <laughs> so, cause nothing but trouble. <laughs> so it definitely increases testosterone or yeah. did, according, you know, I'm guessing that's why the warriors were needing to eat so much of it. Yeah, and in well, the battlefield, because testosterone offers natural aggression and mm-hmm. greater strength and mm-hmm. a lot of energy. But if your troops are well nourished, 
that's half the battle right there. Right, right. And what you just described, all the things that this offers. Now, if it's a nice nourishing for herb. Our yeah. geography mm-hmm. lesson for today, mm-hmm. Peru is a long, narrow country that has basically two climates, mm-hmm. coastal, low coastal, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which has fish, you know, the seafood and all of that kind of nutrition, you know, mm-hmm. and then high altitude mountain. Right. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking about is high altitude mountain. Right. And you talked about omega threes and fatty acids. Those are all the things the Peruvians are getting at the coast. Mm-hmm. And that's they're gonna get that from their selfish. Shelf, right. Not shellfish. Shellfish. <laughs> and so the but, nutritional yeah. value of maca is so important now, as you can see, because that's where the majority of the locals are gonna get their omegas, mm-hmm. their right. fatty acids and their things. I mean we're talking about what? Right. 10,000 feet. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. what they're, they're living at. Yeah. You know, what else grows up there? Not a lot. That's one of the real problems that they're facing is that exactly. there's not yeah. a lot of other local crops they can grow. Yeah. So. And their environment kind of goes against them because the higher altitude, of course, decreases your sperm mobility and, and, all and volume, yeah. all the things that maca does to help improve it. Which right. So maca may be actually just improving your digestive system. It could be. Which, Who in knows? all honesty, a lot of the aphrodisiacs that we have, like ginger, it it improves your... It's aphrodisiac because it improves your digestive system. And when mm-hmm. you have good digestion, you have more energy, mm-hmm. you're more focused, you're less lethargic. Yeah. There's more a likely to have of, sex, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like if people would just uh, it, be very cautious about where they're getting maca, if that's, in fact, part of their... Their, you know, if they've talked to their doctor or their healthcare practitioner, and the doctor said yes, it's true that maca is going to be the thing that you need. Then make sure they're getting the right one, the organic Peruvian maca. Yeah, and Peruvian Andean maca. If they're not, then if you just have some concerns and you want to help your own system, there's plenty of other options that are available. Right. We may like Candace for instance, list if you're looking at like the endocrine system, mm-hmm. Astragalus was one. Mm-hmm. Licorice root was another one. You'd mentioned mentioned ashwagandha, ashwagandha and yeah. which right. is also known as Siberian ginseng, ginseng yeah. or eleuthero, mm-hmm. and just the ginsengs in general, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're talking about things that have been grown traditionally in China. Right. Bringing those here. (laughs) But uh, there's, yeah, and just using highly nutritive herbs. Nettle is one of the favorite that we have here in the uh, Willamette Valley. And it grows so readily, and it's it's so good for you. And even just a tea. Yes. The nettle, the dandelion is another one. High potassium. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you yep. can get a lot of your vitamin Bs from things like potatoes, chickpeas. Mm-hmm. Didn't you say catnip has vitamin B? I, yeah. Oops. I said all kinds of things. Poor Pat. He keeps covering his face because I'm <laughs> terrible with this microphone here. <laughs> and then you're talking about it. And, and talking I'm talking about, about it. Right. About no, so, it. Yeah, I can't you, be talking. Yeah, we, 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 we tap the microphone. Oops, sorry. No, that just yeah. make everyone aware of it. We're also working on a practical herbalist nutritional card that we'll be releasing. We're in the process of getting all the research done, and it has a list of the different kinds of herbs that have the vitamins and the zinc and you know antioxidants, different things that are very important for your system. And the nice thing about getting it from an herb is that we're putting it on the list because it's very highly concentrated. For an example, we just um, have been doing a lot of research on the ginger, and that will be released very quickly. But as far as foods that are highest in antioxidants, berries, pomegranate, ginger, in that order. 
Right. You know, it's very, very, very concentrated, much more so than what you usually think, which would be oranges and the citrus. Those are certainly on the list, but they are much lower than those three items, berries, right. pomegranate, ginger. It's just very, very compact. So I you don't, don't need to have a lot. Yeah, and I don't think we have maca on that nutritional chart. No, but we, we, will, we could, we could we add could. that. Yeah. So to wrap it up, I think one of the important things that we as herbalists need to keep in mind is that as we see the skyrocketing price, it's a, prices of maca, we need mm-hmm. to look at other good things, other good herbs to substitute. Right. And then we also really need to be demanding that our suppliers, our natural grocers, our herbalists, our herbal companies online, Mm -hmm. tell us where they're sourcing their maca from. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's as much for the Peruvian people as it is for our own health and nutrition. Yes. And we, in different parts of the state or different parts of the country, you know, for instance, the person that we were talking about before is from Tennessee. So if you're from that area, you can, you can actually go and talk to the people that, that run that company and find out, just see for yourself what the integrity is for us here in Oregon. There is an Oregon company Herbs America or something like that, that they source maca and they've been doing it for a long time and you can look on their websites, but they also, if you ever go to an herb show, you can talk to these people on your own and you have to do the thinking for yourself. Don't let other people do it. Don't take our word for it. Don't take their word for it. You do your own research, and that's how you can become a healthy, productive part of the world and make a happy life for yourself. Well said, Sue. Thank you very much. And for those of you who have been listening, we want to thank you for listening to this exciting podcast. For more information, links, and resources we mentioned on this program, check out our show notes on realherbalismradio.com. You can find recipes, how-tos, and more detailed information on the topics we discussed on thepracticalherbalist.com. Now it's time for Herbalism and Homesteading News. Last November, a man named Joshua Panaguia, P-A-N-I-A-G-U-A, I apologize to the author, wrote an article for Plexus, entitled FDA Attacks Dr. Bronner's Prohibits Them from Sharing Information. Um, This was an article that alerted us to a problem that Dr. Bronner's company is currently having with the FDA, claiming that Dr. Bronner's is labeling their products as if they are drugs. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what the heck's going on here and why the FDA would be picking on a coconut oil manufacturer right because that's what they're labeling is a coconut oil mm-hmm. yeah well doc, dr bronner's which is a long-standing company mostly we know it for those uniquely labeled liquid soaps right yeah the labels were originally propaganda and they were trying to get people to read their propaganda so they sold soap under their label yes yeah under their propaganda so it's, <laughs> it, it has uh Got, I think the Sun owns the company now, and the right. FDA sent a letter of warning to them, telling them that they had a claim on there that was unsubstantiated, and therefore um, the claim was in, inferring that their product was a drug. Right, and and the worst part about it was that the claim it had to do with, I can't remember what the claim had to do with, but it, there was clinical studies that supported oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. They they were making claims that, uh, well, for the first started out, there was actually two parts of it. One was that the FDA has changed its labels requirements, so you have to say how many trans fats are in your product. And in this case, there were zero trans fats, 
in Dr. Bronner's, the virgin coconut oil soap that they had. And so they changed their label and, and it read trans fats zero. So they addressed that one. That's not a problem. Right. And then the other one was they had a claim on there, which was actually substantiated by science, but the FDA sent a little note um, saying that saying it wasn't. That and the claim was something sponsored. about anti. It was right. about anti-aging. Mm-hmm. It, and it wasn't. It was a sponsored. It had to be a sponsored um, uh, research. Right. So the research had just, to be sponsored by a drug company. Right. You can't just say, "Well, we have this research to prove it, therefore that's good enough." It has to be right. sponsored by one of their um, affiliated. One of their corporate supporters. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So they've ign- and then their way of saying it is that we we have faith in these particular companies and their research is is okay with us. We approve of their research, but on the outside, as us little herbalist, we look at a lot of the research here and we say, well, this is from this university and it's wonderful, and so it's I particularly like it because it is not sponsored by Merck or one of those other pharmaceutical companies, making it more uh, trustworthy. Right. And then, you know, the, the kind of stuff that we prize are things that the FDA is not as excited about. Right. So what Dr. Bronner's did was they just took the claim off entirely. I think what sent red flags up for me was the idea of the FBA, FDA thinking or suggesting that a food stuff is a drug. And mm-hmm. what does that mean for us? Are we going to start having problems? I was selling some dandelion root, and now I... You know, it claimed that it might have some potassium in it. Mm-hmm. Now, oh my God, I'm claiming it's a drug. I mean, right. Well, and this is a trend that the know. FDA has been on for quite some time. I mean, right. when the information about oats and how good it is for cardiovascular health came out, and some food companies put it on their label that, look, we have oats in it, and oats are good for you. And, and the FDA came down on them and said, oh, you know, that means that you're claiming that your food is actually a drug because you're saying it's good for you. Well, I, I have news for you, FDA. Food's good for you. Right. Yeah, I find it worrisome because it takes it makes it hard for me to trust them. And then when they make do what they're supposed to do and say, Well, guess what? This like this therapy that this people said would cure Ebola but really doesn't mm-hmm. is dangerous and you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. They're right. right. So when they're doing that, I want to be able to trust them. So then they're telling me that, you know, oats aren't can't be labeled as healthy for you because that's somehow a labeling it's just it's frustrating it is frustrating and it's an antiquated way of looking at the world for instance with their view of oregon grape according to their current standards they will never approve oregon grape as a medicine because oregon grape requires at least two constituents in order to work as an antibiotic but with the fda one chemical if you've got a plant that's got one right. chemical that does this one thing, it's considered a drug. If it if it takes two chemicals to do whatever it's doing, forget it. Right. It's not considered a drug. Right. Well, you know. I'm sorry. Actually, we just have better science now. Right. And it might be a blessing because I would hate for Oregon grape to be something I have to go pay a pharmacist to give to me when I would rightfully should be able to just dig it up and dry it and... Well, and you use it and sell it. You'll always be able to do that. Well, who knows? I mean, the world is a a wacky place, but who knows what? There are pharmaceutical plants that we cannot grow. That's very true. However, some of the ones that (laughs) have been verified as medicine by the FDA, all of a sudden those have all this research behind it. 
there's money behind it. So now we've got substantial substantial claims and science behind the things that we've been saying for centuries. Right. So you know, double edged sword. I suppose totally turn into a much longer discussion. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You're absolutely right. Like all news articles that we seem to take. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're very good at that. Yeah. But I guess the bottom line, and it comes down to it, is the FDA needs to update how they look at food and how they look at drugs. And we need to be very protective of how we phrase things when talking to the general public and what we put out in the world. We have to protect ourselves. Yeah. Herbalism 101. Candace and Sue answer your questions regarding herbs and herbalism. If you want the dirt on herbs, herbalism, or anything else related, you can send your question using our simple contact form at realherbalismradio.com slash herbalism101. We will do our best to answer your question on a future episode of Real Herbalism Radio. Sue, I recently got an article, or actually a question, from mm-hmm. one of our listeners who wanted to know what the deal is with comfrey. She had been taught that comfrey is hideously toxic and can kill you, mm-hmm. and yet there we are on our site mentioning comfrey as a therapeutic herb. Right, and we mentioned it in a tea blend. Yes, we did. I believe um, a couple of times. Yes, yeah. Right. So... Uh, she was taught similarly as I was taught about comfrey, that you never take it internally, that it is only for externals, uh, using it in a salve or an oil or, um, or in a poultice. Right. And having done the homework on that one, what I've discovered, in, and I'm, um, a lot of this is coming from David Hoffman, and then uh, he's got a really great piece on the side that Will mentioned on our Real Herbalist Radio notes, um, he goes through the categories of observation of actual cases, and in his his thinking, having looked through the chemical effects of the entire plant, and um, I've actually read through the original story that came out in the 60s, I believe it was 1964, that was the impetus for turning what what was this very common food that people had cookbooks dedicated to comfrey, they fed it right. to their animals. Yeah, it was a pot herb, I mean. Exactly. Exactly, and I actually have a comfrey uh, recipe book. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, published the very same year that that study came out about comfrey, and they have um, some things that we always refer to as PAs, and it's um, it's actually, uh, I'm going to say this without stumbling over it, I promise you, uh, pyrolyzing alkaloids, which are um, known to cause hepatoxicity, um, it which means liver yeah, toxicity. Yeah, problems with your liver. And when you take it internally, it's really not a problem, and then it changes a little bit in your body as a lot of as plant things do. And yeah. the plant itself, comfrey, along with other plants, produce this alkaloid in order to defend itself from insects. Right. So the fact of the matter is, is that different places that comfrey is grown have more than... Some have more PAs and some have less PAs. Right. A lot depends on the stressfulness of the environment. Yes. And the types of insects that plant is encountering. Right. Right. Exactly. So it takes a lot for a plant to produce alkaloids in general. Right. And if they don't have to produce these alkaloids to defend themselves, then they simply will not. Right. So in a garden setting um, in which it's got good soil already and it's... uh, watered or you know it's in a it's in a lovely little nurtured environment then it doesn't produce very many PAs and there are fewer PAs in the leaf than there are in the root 
Right, and on top of that, the studies were done on rats who don't metabolize PAs very yeah. well as opposed to other mammals. I mean, if they'd done it on a rabbit, they would have had completely different results because rabbits metabolize PAs right. very well. Or and, a pig, right, which and, can't metabolize uh, PAs hardly at all. Right, and humans fall somewhere in the middle. They're not We, we metabolize them much better than rats, mm-hmm. but not necessarily as well as rabbits. Right, it's tradi- comfrey is traditional food. Right. It's very traditional food, and, and now we've kind of taken it out, particularly in Europe, from our, from our diet entirely, which is a pity because it's very, very nutritious. Right, yeah, the herbalist that I, my first mentor was Don Gates, and she could go on for every bit of a half an hour about how awful that study was and mm-hmm. how it robbed the people and, and all of us of an important plant and all of that. Right. So, I mean, I, I grew up knowing or grew in my herbalism, knowing mm-hmm. well about comfrey and the study and knowing right. that that's one of those studies that I just go, well, science, yeah, you little, cute little thing. Yeah. And <laughs> it was, it, I liked the study itself. It was interesting, but it was used so poorly. You know, mm-hmm. they, they said, well, we have an episode in which there was a drought in an area and there's very little food. And so this one little town, all they were eating was comfrey and it caused a problem with hepatoxicity. Okay, Which makes sense. You're yeah. right. You yeah. shouldn't eat only one thing. Right, you know, right. Just as you shouldn't eat only potatoes, for instance. Right. You're going to have some malnutritional issues. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's there's also some things to keep in mind that, you know, these PAs are in eggs, they're in milk, right. they're in borage. Colt's know, foot. Colt's foot. Yeah. And a lot of Chinese herbs have PAs in Honey. them. Honey it's in honey, is, correct? Yeah. yeah. So it's not like we're talking about some kind of singular compound that isn't usually found in plants. Mm-hmm. It's found in quite a few of our plants and that foods. That we regularly consume. Right. So it's just the the situations in which you know, we could have another podcast on this <laughs> on <laughs> yeah, itself. But you, if you're using comfort, keep in mind the recipes that we have on the site, they're for teas. How much are you really putting a teaspoon? Right. Yes, and they're not meant to be used every day, ad nauseum, gallons at a time, right? For the rest of your life, yeah. Most of them you are... need to have a varied diet and and right. use well grown comfrey. Mm-hmm. Use it responsibly, and if you feel uncomfortable about it, if you have a highly compromised liver, don't use it. Right, exactly. Thank you for listening to Real Herbalism Radio. Your hosts have been Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. To find more information and recipes from today's show or to leave a comment or suggestion, visit us online at realherbalismradio.com. If you're feeling social, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thepracticalherbalist. Don't forget to look up our ebooks and herbal folios at amazon.com. Use the search terms Practical Herbalist. This show has been sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of high-quality organic bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. You can visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. If you'd like to sponsor Real Herbalism Radio, just contact us through our website at realherbalismradio.com slash contact. Until next time, this is Patrick with Real Herbalism Radio and The Practical Herbalist.